Hey guys, so before I go into today's episode, I have some amazing news that I am opening up a brand new program called the SWF Online Program. So from today, from when you were listening to this, signups are open now for the June intake. And it's gonna keep it small numbers to about 10 people. And the start date will be the 27th of June and will run until the 7th of August. So this is for you. And let me tell you what's involved. So there's a training program which is tailored to you with videos, personalized calories and macros. You've choices of home workouts or gym workouts, whatever you prefer. There's free recipe books and I would full on recommend trying the brownies and the pizzas that are in those recipe books. A Facebook group with support and weekly lives with myself. And there's weekly check-ins via the group as well. You have, I'm keeping it small because I want to have everyone's undivided attention. You have un, you have my undivided attention as well. Who is this actual challenge for? It's people who are sick and tired of not seeing results and are ready to actually take action. People who want to lose fat, gain some muscle, feel confident. People who want to build healthier habits. People who want to improve their knowledge on nutrition and educate themselves. And people who want to be part of an amazing group of like-minded individuals and, and kind of like support each other along the way. So the price is 149. This is the lowest price it's going to be at. I'm keeping the number small to 10 people. So you have me through the group on a regular basis. You've got accountability, you've got tailored nutrition, tailored calories, tailored program to yourself. So if you're interested in working with myself through the new program, I'll put the link into the show notes. You can click on that and it's the first come, first served. 27th of June is the start date. So if you guys are interested, click on the link and enjoy the episode of the podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So before I go into this episode, this episode I'm very, very excited for because I've been trying to get Orla on for about three years now, just between Orla having two amazing children and expanding the family and the business and stuff like that, just hasn't worked out time-wise. So I'm super excited for Orla to come on. So today's guest is Orla Walsh. So Orla is a qualified dietitian and based in Dublin and she has an amazing practice called Orla Walsh Nutrition and she has we've already had someone like Catherine Stewart who works with Orla there's Ali Cunningham as well and Sarah Nagel who's been recently announced uh, to work with them as well so Orla has experience of working with athletes as Olympians like Katie Taylor and stuff like that and we talk about that a little bit and Orla works in all areas of dietetics specializes in PCOS and cholesterol lowering diets and she has a clinic as well so I highly recommend if you're looking for a face-to-face consultation go over to Orla and I'll put the the link in the bio for that so so Orla is someone that is so so knowledgeable and I was so so keen to kind of dig into what we wanted to and we had questions sent over and stuff like that but it went down a different rabbit hole completely so we talk about how Orla got into what she does as a dietitian and the experiences that she's had at that we talk about caffeine and how it is good for the heart is there an upper limit on it when to cut it off when to ease it off who shouldn't who should have caffeine the different options for you if caffeine is your thing and the truth behind having caffeine late at night for those who say they can sleep we also talk about the impacts of cholesterol and eggs and the studies behind that so we're going to break a lot of myths in this episode we also talk about the amount of media responsibility and responsibility that we have ourselves 
about the information that's being put out there we talk about that weight why weight and worth are unrelated and we break down those and we break down certain slimming clubs and we kind of dig into that a little bit more we talk about the body positivity body acceptance body neutrality movement as well and the pros and cons and where where we sit on it we talk about sunk cost fallacy uh, we talk about kind of how she's managed her own nutrition as a new mom and how she talks about her own journey and her own discovery uh, uh, and how she talks about her own body and how she's moved away from that and then we talk about and then one of the most kind of amazing posts that she put out was in relation to how much money the average person will pay a slimming club before they lose one kg it's quite a scary stat so we go a lot into this a lot of myth busting and it's amazing to have someone like Orla so knowledgeable uh, like someone like Orla to come on and, and, and spread good proper evidence-based nutrition so i hope you guys enjoy the episode if you enjoy it please do tag us up on your story please do share it amongst your friends leave a review link in the show notes for all the information if you want to work with myself or orla so i hope you enjoy the episode with orla Walsh. orla how are we i'm good thank you thank you so much for coming on this is a, a longly awaited podcast yeah just about three years but um yeah listen we made it yet we made it we've had a lockdown in the middle um, so Orla, for anyone who isn't aware who you are and what you do, can you kind of tell us a little bit of a brief background behind yourself on the amazing work that you do? Yeah, I'm sure everyone's like, who is she? Um, <laughs> so I am a dietitian. So my background is in science. So I did science in Trinity, specializing in physiology. Um, then I did a master's in clinical nutrition in Roehampton University. It was the first place, I think, to do nutrition at a master's level or something forget the staff that they sent me. Um, and then that got me into um, dietetics in King's College, which is very competitive. So I was thrilled. Like it's the world leaders in dietetics, really. Um, and a lot of good research comes out of there. And um, so I worked in hospitals in London and in Ireland. And um, I was about to say and in Cork, but even Cork people would be like, no, separated. Um, <laughs> so I did work in Cork in the Mercy University Hospital. And um and it's actually that's another story but that's where my um, brother met his wife so she's oh, wow. a dietitian yeah brought her up to dublin to we'll just go sidetrack real quick but um so i brought two dietitian buddies up to dublin to stay with me for the weekend i went out with my two brothers one hooked up with one brother and the other one hooked up with the other brother oh, so wow. yeah one didn't last now you know much time um <laughs> but the other ones got married so that's michelle so we have another dietitian in the family but so I went, I then um, went into private practice and I've been in private practice now 10 years and I'm very sporty person or I certainly was before kids. I know I, it's still in me, you know, it's just taken a bit of sabbatical. And um, so I want to do sports nutrition. So I studied to uh, for a postgrad in sports and exercise nutrition as well while doing the whole self-employed thing by day. And um, then I started working with athletes in the lead up to the Rio Olympics. Um, I then backed out before the Tokyo and I'm glad in some ways because that was a five year cycle. Um, but obviously I miss it. Um, and then I just went uh, self-employment like all the time. So I have my own clinic and um, I have dietitians working with me. So um brilliant dietitians so Ali and Catherine and then um soon to be announced Sarah Nagel so she's a pediatric dietitian and um and then I do other bits and pieces so people would see me kind of 
I don't know, um, on TV sometimes, radio more often, and then my social media page. So the social media page is a bit like today where I rock on with wet hair and no makeup, but it's a bit haphazard. It's the most unprofessional. Like you see other people's social media sites and I'm like, wow, they're beautiful. They're creations, artistic even. And then there's mine. I'm like, you know. It's very simple though. It's very like, it is very simple. It, well, thank God, you know, that's a hit because I don't know if I could do the other side. You know, I don't think I could be a glam influencer. And like, I remember one time someone thought I was doing a makeup trial and literally I just, you know, I I just put mascara on. Um, but like, I, I really, it's the most unpolished, but listen, it's well received. I think people like realize it's just me and what I know and it's got nothing to do with glam. So it's really my page is all about myth busting nearly yeah. and also trying to simplify nutrition because n- nutrition is simple. It's just been made complicated um, over the years with nutrition myths. And you see lots of people have an opinion on nutrition and you forget like you're like, no, 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 no. It's not an opinion. It's a science. So you know, when you actually talk to people who've studied the science of nutrition, there isn't actually much difference in opinion or many different views out there. It's just there's loads of views when you take into consideration people who haven't studied it. So, you know, it's it's hard because the people who haven't studied it probably shout the loudest yeah. and whatever works for them, they feel works for everyone. It's just like, oh, you know, I went to keto and it changed my life and then everyone must do it because one size fits all. So they're really, you know, passionate about what they do and they can be desperate, sexy people. So people are like, oh, my God, I want to look like that, you know, so they think, okay, well, this person looks so good. If I do what they do, I'm going to look that good too. Um, so there's, yeah, you're constantly battling against the the beautiful people with the sexy nutrition advice. Um, but it's it's hard, but it's fun and it's rewarding. And I think I'm making headway. You mentioned that you work with, you've worked with athletes in the past. Have What's the difference between working with an athlete and a general population? Are they... Is there similarities? Are they way different? Are they tougher to work with? Are they? The only ones who have egos are the ones that aren't that good. Oh, wow. So if you work with the absolute top notch, they don't have egos. They're like incredible. They're too disciplined. They shut out all the noise. They're like, you know, eye on the prize constant. And they tend to be really lovely people because... Um, you know, they're they're pretty much just interested in training and family and very close friends. So they're, you know, um, and I worked, I was kind of the performance nutritionist for Athletics Ireland, but also worked with some of the Sport Ireland crew. So like different teams and stuff like that. Um, and then some some of the most, you know, you always assume that the best people are the most, you know, on the ball about everything, but they're not necessarily. Um, and then like there's people who stand out and go, wow, they're the best athlete I've ever worked with because they have huge potential and they've made the most of it. Um, if I was to say who my highlight was, it was Eve McChrystal, the cyclist. So she's she I suppose she inspired me more than anyone else because she she was a and I love Katie as well. Sorry, it's not that. It's just Eve was a mom of two, a guard, 
worked really hard. Her brother's into cycling too. You can often, I nearly knocked him over my mini one day. And she's she's just, I've never met anyone more dedicated and lovely to work with and passionate and hardworking. And I think from a woman's point of view, she was at the time, I think, I don't know what, I'm not going to guess her age, but just say she's a little bit older than me mom of two and she was achieving so much she was such an inspiration so there's some people that stand out and you'll forever kind of hold them high in your expectations um but I have to say then some of the boxes were really cool like it was you know I remember Katie Taylor opened the door for me and I was like (gasps) you know like you just play it cool Orla play it cool um and you know so like yeah it was um and Kelly Harrington I was confused for Kelly on two occasions. So people thought I was her. So again, you know, that was, there were two of my highlights. I said it to her. She was like, Orla, that's a weird one. But like, so there was people now, I didn't work with the boxes. That was Sharon Madigan. But yeah, there was moments there that they were real rock stars and they just don't see themselves as that. And they're extremely humble. And then you have the cheeky little gits that aren't that great, you know? Yeah, it's kind of, it's weird because I've seen it from my brother competed rowing at a very decent level, like below Olympic standard. Uh, but the dedication and the errors and the nutrition, like unbelievable. It's it's ridiculous. And he was one of those that like he had to fight to keep his weight up. He was one of yeah. those assholes, basically. Um but it's but like yeah. the triathletes. when they get to retire, they're like, Thank God I don't have to eat all the time. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah, Connor was on just yeah four thousand calories a day, and he was oh, like, like yeah. he was struggling to hit eighty kg. But the day he made eighty kg, it was the di- the day he died. <laughs> he just made it. He was like eighty kg. I'm made. I'm done. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because where he sat in the boat was he had to be heavier, and he was the lightest in the whole competition. Yeah, um, it's it's just madness. But if they're um, not eating, they're sleeping. Do you know? And they're not eating or sleeping. They're training. Do you know they, they just don't have a life like it's it that is their life but they don't have a perceived life what other people think of and that's the hard part for that balance and i think it's trying to find that balance for individuals now yeah, and they they travel a lot there's a lot that they have to give up to be brilliant you know and there's a lot there for to be proud of when they represent us yeah um, definitely um so i know the the big thing for yourself is the myth busting um and there's a lot of myths and there's not enough time <laughs> uh but i think the the kind of the, the one of the big ones that's kind of coming up more and more is the whole thing about caffeine because we're all ca- caffeine addicts here um and i know some people who are like in australia caffeine is life and coffee is life it's like a different it's like a religion over there yeah, but over here particular. they're yeah. very particular um you put up a post recently saying caffeine is good for the heart can, and can you explain that post and can you say is there an upper limit for that caffeine well Certainly. Well, caffeine is a central nervous service, central nervous system stimulator. And for some people, it's brilliant. It's used in sports performance because um, if people take around, you know, a couple of 200 milligrams or something, it can enhance performance. Um, People go mad, though, in sports performance, thinking the more the merrier. And I've had athletes who couldn't compete because they were too jittery from like doubling. Jamie Vardy, the the footballer, the England and Leicester footballer, what is it? Loads of Red Bull and a shot of whiskey or something like that before a match. But anyway, that's his his pre-match routine. 
No way. Well, it's certainly what he says anyway. Yeah, exactly. Can't. I hope he's not. I hope the shot of whiskey isn't true. Um, but there is too much of a good thing because it can send you wild. You see, it just depends because some people just don't suit caffeine at all. So they you know, don't sleep with it. Or if you have anxiety, it's very much oxygen to that flame. And, you know, I even see it myself when I'm going through my insomnia stages or I'm feeling more anxious and stuff. Like it's not my mate. It's not my friend. And really what we're all trying to have, like it's a safe kind of upper limit anyway is 200 milligrams. Um, the thing about 200 milligrams is easy to consume that. So two coffees at home or four teas at home would be 200 milligrams. But then if you go into a coffee shop, that coffee could contain three times that. So sometimes we overconsume, And the problem with caffeine is that it has a half-life of around six hours. So what that means is that it's half gone in six hours. It's a quarter left six hours after that. It's an eighth left six hours after that. And then six hours after that, it's a 16th. So like 24 hours, it's still lingering a little bit. And it we, it does, if you have a, just say a tired week and you've had loads of coffee that week, it'll take you a while then to get rid of it. Now, the thing is about caffeine is that it, it binds to a receptor. So it's stimulating, stimulating, stimulating until all the receptors are bound to, and then it, actually makes us tired so it's about trying to listen how do we play it so that we get all the wonderful benefits but with none of the side effects and for some people that's zero milligrams of caffeine because you know they're just straight on the toilet when they have a, a caffeinated drink um but i suppose it's it's important to highlight that the teas and coffees are really good for you they are hydrating they're full of antioxidants but you don't have to have the caffeinated ones to have the benefits so you like decaf versions are still excellent for you. You can drink them any time of the day. So what I'd encourage people is, you know, maybe one or two cups earlier in the day, you know, before 11 a.m. and um, anything after that decaffeinated. But it's really the the science is interesting. It's, it's suggesting it reduces the risk of all sorts of things, including heart disease. But one of them is it's very good for the liver. So if there's liver disease in your family, maybe it's something that actually, you know, if you, you could bring in more decaf coffee, for example. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting. I think it's um, all the antioxidant stuff in it. And I think people love hearing about coffee being good for you because they're like, or tea, especially in Ireland, because we love it so much. Um, but just know that decaf still packs a punch. And why is it some people have higher thresholds to it than others? Lots of reasons, but you kind of have to ask yourself, like, how stimulated is your nervous system at the time you're having it? So, like, in research, we're like, oh, which is best for athletes at three milligrams per kilogram, six, nine. But, like, these are all in study settings. So if you bring an athlete into the lab and test what dose of caffeine is best to get the best result, then you make them nervous because they're starting a race or starting a match or something. And, of course, they'll be able to manage a lot less. So I think there's a date, there is a different variability. I think weight is a really important factor, um, but also just how, how much do you live on your nerves? Do you know, there's some people that are so laid back, they're like nearly horizontal and they could probably take a lot more than um, the likes of me who, who lives their life quite hyped up. Yeah. Because uh, I know like even people, like I know my dad will be able to have a coffee and go to sleep, but like. Oh, my mom says that the whole time. She's like, Orla, I can have a cup of coffee and go to sleep, no problem. And do you know what? They've studied those smug little people. Do you know, <laughs> my mom 
always says that and I always have to correct her. So they studied the likes of them, right? And um, what they discovered was, yes, they could go off to sleep, but they spent less time in deep sleep and their sleep was less uh, restful. So actually it does still impact their sleep quite a lot, even though that they can get to sleep. So you can say that to your dad. I say it to my mom, but she seems to forget oh, that one, yes. I pick, about her ability to go to sleep. I pick my battles. So there's no point in talking. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes with parents, just like, let it go. Yeah. Um, no, but I think there's so many myths uh, buzzed there with um or most posted there with caffeine. The other one is eggs. Oh, think- eggs. Eggs, it's so annoying because every single day I'm in clinic or every single week of my dietetic career, I have someone ask me how many eggs they can have each week. And these are people generally with high cholesterol. Now, they never say how many chocolate bars can I have or how much butter can I have or how much sweets or something like people don't and they definitely don't ask about the alcohol, but like people don't ask this. And you're like, OK, firstly, they gave eggs to rodents and yes, their cholesterol raised. And then they were like, oh, but are we rodents? So then they gave them to humans and their cholesterol didn't. And they were like, oh, weird. What's going on? And they realized with more and more research that the cholesterol in foods such as eggs and prawns and stuff, and no one asks about the prawns. No one goes, how many prawns can I have each? But the cholesterol in food doesn't have the same impact on our cholesterol levels as the, the saturated fat, the certain saturated fats in certain foods. So instead of going, listen, lads, we made a big mistake. You know what we were saying about seven eggs or one egg or whatever a week? Listen, we're sorry we made a mistake. Move on. There's no, you know, we're not controlling them anymore. Instead of saying that and putting their hands up, they put a new number on it. And I don't pay heed to the new numbers because it's it's the most illogical thing to put a number on eggs because if you think when people have eggs like they might have eggs instead of jam and toast and what's better for you eggs or jam obviously eggs because they have there's so many nutrients in there and then if you have eggs on your toast in the morning you'll be fuller for longer and therefore less likely to have maybe the bickies with the coffee at 10 or whatever so again it's the knock-on impact of having that high protein source then they're affordable. Most things, most foods, calories are cheap and nutrients are poor, except when it comes to the likes of milk and eggs, where it's actually affordable, good nutrition. So it was the most silly thing to do because it didn't think about what impact is this going to have on our diets? Because if if, if you took everyone who was having a high sugar cereal or jam and toast in the morning and and had they had eggs and enjoyed eggs whether it be pancakes or eggs and toast whatever or eggy bread or french toast or whatever they then they would be significantly healthier and it just it gets my goat that they put a number on it because they don't put a number on other things that we know that actually impact cholesterol you know so it, it infuriates me um so it's a really it's a really annoying thing and they they you know if you make a mistake own it, you know, and don't just put a new number on things. And actually don't even put a number on things because there's lots of people who eat takeaways all the time and are very overweight and their cholesterol is fine. And there's people, you know, so that whole putting a numerical number on 
something where we live in a world where everyone's different sizes and everyone has different conditions and diseases they're running from. And, you know, we all have different blood work. Like it's just, it was ludicrous. I think it was very silly and they should own it and just put up their hands and say, listen, we were silly billies. We're really sorry. You know, go enjoy your eggs. Do you think the media is ever going to change in relation to the sensationalist headlines in relation to like the nutrition stuff? Because if you look at anywhere, it's kind of like, well, here's the five key ways of like, I don't know, rubbing a carrot against your head to grow your hair back. Yes and no. You see, (laughs) have you tried it? No. Um, (laughs) Yes and no. So like the Irish independent, right? years ago now you're talking about 10 maybe 10 years ago came well I actually handed them and I was like I want to write for you right and I wanted to write my first article on Vernacy Vernicky Korskoff syndrome and I ended up writing on you know um someone in a black little dress or something but anyway they were wonderful in that they took little on me and with all my qualifications behind me and said can you write for us and yes, they sometimes put a sensational headline on it because everyone's interested in nutrition. And some of my articles, I'm like, geez, it's still in the most read. And my articles, I used to do them weekly, but I got very busy. And Yvonne Hogan, she's so sound. She puts, you know, not too much pressure on me at all. Like, but I still write for them as much as I can. And they do put headlines that will grab because they want readership. But at the same time, they allowed me, who was who was research, you know, evidence based, to put out articles and like credit to them because some people just they seem to not care what they put out, and the likes of the Irish Independent do care what they put out and made sure that you know they had the likes of me writing them, so it was evidence based. But it does infuriate because there's a lot of newspapers out there getting anyone and everyone printing whatever they want in terms of readership, um, and it's dangerous because. Like the fact that people can call themselves a nutrition expert and have no qualifications whatsoever in nutrition and never studied it, it's it's dangerous. And I think people don't realize the impact, the negative impact they can have. So if you get just say a teenager and you take them off dairy and they're and like our bones are this thing, our bones, we are trying to thicken them and grow them as much as possible until we're 30. Then we're trying to maintain them. And if you take out the likes of dairy, which is incredibly good for bone mineral density, far better than calcium or calcium fortified drinks at that, it's far better. And research is clear on that. If you take out dairy from a teenager's diet and they um, omit it, their bones don't thicken like they're supposed to. And it has so many impacts. So you've got these kids going around with bones like 90 year olds. And I think people see nutrition and probably don't give it the respect it deserves and don't realize actually I'm going to radically impact that person's life with my willy-nilly advice based on a hunch and if you were to if you were someone reading a newspaper without kind of having like a like John and Mary down the road like what would you look for what to watch out for if you were reading the paper and with the sensationalist headline regarding nutrition it's hard. Like I would say be a cynic, but it's hard. It's not, it's up for the right. It's that newspaper should be like, they should be better policed and there should be guidelines on, on what they print and how they print it because it's, we can't be experts in everything. And I, and I think some, the people who are going to take it on board and believe it are vulnerable and they're vulnerable because 
either they don't have education in that area or they're not cynical. They're just, you know, people who believe um, or, you know, they're they're vulnerable because it, it means something to them. So if you've just say had a heart attack and you're scared blind about dying and you see an article that says X, Y and Z is bad for you or something, you're going to believe it. You're going to be more vulnerable in that moment. So I think it's not up for each person to know what to believe and what not. I think it's up to the, the people who put this stuff out. They should be regulating Instagram. They should be regulating social media and they should be regulating uh, newspapers. So all media, really, um, because it's not up to John and Mary down the road to know, oh, do you know what? Let, let me quickly Google to see how many qualifications that person has before I take on their information. Well, then you're in a different rabbit hole. Dr. Google speaks up then. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Google is an asshole. Um, in relation, to, you, you talk about kind of like people who are vulnerable and who, people who are struggling and stuff like that in relation to things in general. But one of those is kind of like people who struggle with weight and their yo-yo dieters and kind of like that's how they, they're termed. One of the posts you put up was why weight and worth are unrelated. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit more? And Yeah, basically. Well, when it comes to weight and our body size, a lot of it is dictated by stuff that is very much outside of our control. Like we all kind of look, look like our birth parents, like genetics plays a big role on it. And also genetics plays a role because it decides where you're growing up. You know, did you grow up in affluence or did you grow up, you know, in lower socioeconomic situation? And like all these things matter and dictate what we're like. Our body size is going to be in part dictated by how much green area we grew up around, like how many takeaways our parents, um, how uh, how much education they had in, in everything, including nutrition. Um, money do they could they afford nutrition or can they just afford calories um as well as things like the schooling like if you're just say you were hopeless at all the sports in school but you would have liked to play basketball or something where your school didn't do it that's going to make a difference to your body so, so there's so many things impacting it and then there's all these like conditions and diseases that you might have where you're P- you have PCOS and all of a sudden you gain a stone within a few weeks and you're like, what's gone on? Um, and then that might lead to a diagnosis, but it usually takes a few years. So there's loads of things that impact our body size. So we can't be smug about something we don't have that much control over. But as well, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be equated to our worth at all because it's a bit like equating our notes. We have that much, like we have very little say on what our nose looks like, you know, so we can't be look at my nose I'm and I worth more than the other person because that's, you know, when it comes to body size, there's only so much control we have over it. Um, and the fact that anything, the body positivity movement is wonderful in, in some ways, but it was overtaken. And it drives me mad. And I, I'm still trying to find the words to explain how I feel about it because it's such an important topic. I don't want to do it injustice or I don't want to say the wrong thing because it means that much to me and because it means that much to lots of other people. But the body positivity movement wasn't love your stretch marks. Despite I love those roles when you're contorting your body, your skinny little body, um, to eventually come up with a couple of rolls on your belly. Like it's not, that was, that's social media's interpretation of it. What I would prefer is a body neutrality movement. And there is one, it's just not as loud. 
And it's about, you know, just creating a situation and what's your body got to do with it? Because we want a situation where someone like we know when there's research out there that people living in a bigger body might, you know, they might have missed diagnosis because everything's put down to their weight or they might not get jobs um you know go for a job and might not get the job because of fat phobia or they might not get the promotion or whatever or they deal with fat phobia every single day of the week every hour in some cases and what body neutrality is is trying to kind of going okay well can we start to separate this and you know what body positivity is 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 saying oh just love your body but really body neutrality isn't about you know you can love your body or not love your body that's not what it's about it's about being neutral and not putting worth associated with someone's body um so it's it's a frustrating one on social media it's the people who are talking about body positivity are the people who shouldn't be they're the people who should be shutting up and listening and if we shut up and listened to the people who are living life in a bigger body and listening to their experience we'd learn and we'd be able to empathize empathize better and understand more but instead we've got these people in these tiny little bodies going oh I'm very you know I had a bad body image day and you're like listen love you know just shut up for a while (laughs) Um, listen more and talk less about this topic topic and don't feel when you google or in Instagram when you search body positivity you've got all these people coming up that when when I see people hashtag body positivity and they're not someone who actually lives with it in the same way and who would be better shutting up and listening more, they're bombarding the, that hashtag so that the people who we should be listening to are heard less. They're drowned out by the noise of, you know, these ones just want like fishing for likes. So it, it wrecks my head. And, you know, don't like in some ways I am, you know, educated enough to understand it to a degree and should be speaking about it a bit but at the same time do I get get it fully no because I haven't grown up with fat phobia I you know in in the same way like I haven't grown up where people treat me less because of my body yes in terms of a dietitian like I'm fatter than most but like and like (laughs) you know and like dietitians tend to be itty bitty um and I'm not and I probably don't fit the mold of a dietitian I don't really you know it, it doesn't bother me anymore probably did at the start so there's some bits I can kind of understand but yeah I, I mostly I don't talk about that topic because I want to leave space airtime for people who who have been maybe even waiting years to have the courage to talk about it and have really important things to say is it kind of starting with body acceptance more than body positivity then? Um, yes, in some ways we have to accept that this is our body and it deserves respect at any size. Yeah. And we have to be compassionate to our body for what it goes through. And, and realistic expectations as well. And this is where social media and their bloody filters are really annoying. Like if some, you know, it's even, you know, it's even... Where we we have this idea of perfection these days, where like if you've had a baby, for example, your your muscles in your stomach aren't going to be the same. Yeah. Uh, probably you'll probably have extra skin. You'll probably have stretch marks, but that's 
your body's reflecting the beautiful journey you've been well, it's not actually I puke my whole way through but it's, it's beautiful in a way but like your body was reflecting that journey and it's this idea that we need to erase these marks it's like the obsession with Botox and fillers and don't get me wrong nearly everyone has Botox and fillers and I'm not having a go but like are we trying to erase our laugh lines yeah you know so if there is in this you know, I definitely have cross lines. I wouldn't mind raising those. But, you know, really with body acceptance, we, we need to, there needs to be a focus on an education on that. And I think um, it, it starts and I, it starts in a young age and we just need to teach. We need to kind of create a situation and facilitate the learning about self-esteem. And it, there needs to be a focus on that because it has such an impact on every nook and cranny of our life. So I think it would be really good if if we were all taught how to teach that a bit better. So you've got two young kids. How would you educate or how would you go into the school that they're potentially going to go to in the future and kind of like try to bring in a lesson plan or try to bring in some sort of I think I think there'd be teachers uh listening going oh add another thing to, what we <laughs> to do. and like you know teach your own bloody kids this you know and they'd be fair they'd be right and but then there's lots of kids that you know teachers are like no I I want to learn more about this but you know it really starts at home and because monkey see monkey do they copy yeah. everything so what I do in my own house is when we talk about our bodies, we talk about what they can do or like my son, um, he's at that lovely age where, you know, they eat tons of food. Mommy, I'm still a little bit hungry is all he says to me all day long. I, I slipped down the stairs the other day and there was a silence when my husband was like, oh, my God, is she OK? And he goes, Mommy, I'm still a little bit hungry. <laughs> but his belly, you know, when their bellies are massive because they're so full of food all throughout the day and because they don't chew well enough, it's full of gas and stuff. But like he was like, my big belly. And I was like, oh, full of food. Wasn't the food yummy? So you're you're talking about it in a, you know, what your body can do. So your belly digests your food or it's where we store our food for later or something. Or you're, you know, hey, he's lovely, strong legs. And I'm like, look at those lovely, strong legs and they can run really fast. So it's always what our bodies can do, not what they can look like. And we do have a scales in the house and I'm not one for weighing myself because I just don't. It's just not a good thing for me. But like, I'm like, no, we, we shouldn't have that in the house. Like, fair enough if they have to be weighed in a medical situation for medical yeah. reasons. But, you know, they we need to, in case that there is a connection in their heads between that number and, and worth or appearance or anything, like it's just a dangerous thing. And we just need to be careful about how we word these things. But it should be all about what your body can do. I really like that to celebrate in the body and kind of using the wording around it. And I've had a few people on the podcast talking about kind of like how to word things around food around kids and how to like Natalie Costa and how to kind of like talk to kids if they've done something naughty or whatever the word is. Yeah. I've never used the word naughty in my life. No way I've <laughs> said it there. Um, but how have you managed your own nutrition as a, a business owner and as a mom and uh, as a wife? Like, because you're on the go an awful lot as you said already you're kind of like you're on a lot of the time yeah I know it is it's tough and it's changed over the years so before I had kids my self-care was off the charts I'm so good because it's so much time 
and I could focus on my work. I could do my training like years ago. I remember the journal wanted to know what I ate in a day and I used to do carb cycling and all this because I could because and I want those 1% performance benefits in just say my cycling or my running or my swimming or whatever. And I loved getting a PB and it was all about these sorts of things. And then you have kids and you're like, I just need to go back to basics. I need to create a situation where I even have my fruit or veg at each meal, my protein at each meal, my carbohydrates. And then, you know, so lots of things like the slow cooker comes out, frozen veg is a must, trying to buy things where they're already prepared. Like, so if you're making your air fryer chips that you actually bought the potatoes that are already cut up because you have 15 minutes to get the dinner on the table. So there's, it's, it's really about convenience now more than ever. And then now that my son's at an age, oh, he's been a picky eater since he'd been like 18 to 20 months. So he changed overnight. And as of around 10 days ago, he started eating his dinner every night. Oh, wow. And it has taken, it was a long ass journey. You're talking about like a year and a half, like what age was they then? So it's certainly nearly a year and a half to get to this point. And so my nutrition has to change to reflect the work we have to put in. So for example, like he was, he wouldn't eat pretty much any meats and stuff. Like he was <laughs> apart from dairy, you know, and so my nutrition had to change because it reflected his. So dinners become very plain and stuff like that. So it's, I suppose my nutrition and managing it has always reflected their journeys and where they're at. Um, and then um, it had to be really time efficient. So it's funny because you can always see, and I'm sure I did it too, but you can see people and, um, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you know, you have to start making like you can't buy biscuits, you have to make them, you know, everything has to be homemade and no processed food at all and things like that. And you're just like, gosh, you know, they, they make nutrition sound laborious. Like there's lots of labor involved to have good nutrition. And they also make it sound like it's huge effort. So if I was someone listening on who only had like me 15 minutes to get the dinner on the table from start to finish, then I would be like, Ach, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And I would give up. So you know, my nutrition has reflected their journey and time and everything. And it's just changed completely. And I think back to me and my husband, when we were in our apartment, we were a second cup of coffee, darling. And this was like reading the newspaper after going to the gym, having our egg. And we created the most beautiful breakfast every single morning. And it's such a contrast between what we do now. Everything's about speed. Um, so it's lovely. And I suppose nutrition has to reflect where you are in your life as well as, you know, what your requirements are. Um, but you know, the self care piece has gone to pot. Like I'm just, you know, so bad and I know it and I've done courses in mindfulness, but I like have to be honest, I hate doing it. Hey, dude. No one likes doing it. No one does. No, few people do. And I want, and I'm like now comfortable with the fact that, like, no, I don't like it. And I've done courses of trying my best. So it's finding things that, like, okay, you know, stop trying to put a square into a circular hole here. If you're not going to do it, you don't like it. What can you do? So it's trying to find solutions and stuff within time limits. So I suppose, like everyone else, it's just, but it's even having time to think. About the solutions, you know, it's all to do with time, really, and time creation, because we spend so much time doing stuff that is wasteful. So, like, even my husband and I, 
we've we've given up the TV from Monday to Thursday. Oh wow. Yeah, because we don't have time for it Monday to Thursday. And so we had to not we had to create time and that was time wasted. So now from Monday to Thursday, we're like, okay, so either catch up on work if we have to, and that's been my life at the moment. But it really what we're trying to do is just keep up with housework, exercise, um, meet people, like just spend time doing stuff that will be more purposeful. So, um, you know, and it's, it was a hard compromise and it's, and it's even given up the glass of wine those days and stuff, you know, there's lots of things, but, and even having nicer time together. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a juggle. And I think it's a juggle, whether you have kids or not, or where you are in your career or, you know, so I think, I think with people it's juggling. So even, and you know, it yourself and what you do, it's not just, okay, this is what I'd like you to do, but like, is that realistic? Will that fit in? So everything has to be so tailored to the individual. And I think that's why I have such success in my clinic is because I am very good at empathizing. And I I have at this point lived a thousand lives, I feel in a thousand different circumstances. So I feel like I get it now and I can better adapt it. And some people come in and I change so little, but like, we know from research that consistency is much better for them perfectionism. So if you can make these tiny changes where people find it dead easy and go, God, it was mad easy doing that. It can, it can be sometimes enough to make huge change. And the self-compassion thing is a lot more successful to those who criticize themselves in studies as well. So I think, as you said, it's kind of but looking for the at- Irish because we're like self-deprecating. Oh, we do not give ourselves any credit. <laughs> no. We cannot take a compliment at all. It's like thanks, and you're kind of like you're really awkward in thanks, the corner. Thanks, pennies to your got on sale. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we don't we don't deal with that. But I think what like I think what, what I said is, is it's kind of kind of changing your expectations and managing those expectations, and then looking at what you can do and what you can edit. And I think that's the hardest part for people, whether they have kids or not. Like I know myself, like the last five and a half months, I haven't been able to breathe properly, so I haven't been able to train. So I stupidly threw myself back into work. I was kind of like, that hasn't helped either. So it's yeah. trying to find that balance once again. And things are opening back up. And I think people are going the other way now. It's kind of from having nothing to having everything. And then yeah. they're struggling to find that middle ground. Yeah. And it's kind of maybe taking that step back and actually analyzing, like, do I need to go out these four meals a week? If you do, amazing, enjoy them, be present, whatever. But at some point, you're, the body's going to catch up and your bank balance will catch up eventually too. <laughs> Um, in relation, the last question I will ask is in relation, you put up a post and I think it hit home for an awful lot of people. I, I was looking at the comments and I think I'm a bit blown about why the comments was in relation to the average person will pay a slimming club uh, a certain amount of money before they lose one kg. Uh, this staff lived in mind. or something. Yeah. So it is. And the diet industry is very clever because it's just the whole basis of it is that you will fail and you will come back and join again. Like the major people that I, I've been to, whatever slimming world, a slimming curl club oh, nearly said things are. So they've been to whatever slimming club and they've been back five, six, seven times. And instead of blaming that process on their lack of sustained success, they blame themselves. So that diet culture has 
it's designed for you to fail. It's designed for you to keep back and still spend money and spend a lot of money for very little results. And then if it fails, it's not their fault. It's very much yours. Some cost fallacy, basically. It's unbelievable. Like, it's so immoral. I, it's, it's horrendous. And like the blame and the shame put on that That's person. That's the bit I can't get over. Oh, like, and then the old, my, my sister calls it the public flogging, going out and standing up the scales, mm-hmm, British, only half a pack, like, unbelievable. A little Britain skate comes to mind. Oh. Dust, dust anyone? Dust anyone? <laughs> I know. I am Peter Kay as well. But like, it, it's just horrendous. It's just, it's built as well on shame. And they've tried to improve over the years. Um. And not make it all about the number going down on the scales. But I remember I had someone in and they left after 10 times back to the same thing. I said, what was it? And she said, well, I'd run my first 10K. And she was saying she stood up in the scales and the person says, you didn't lose anything this week. And she said, I ran my first 10K yesterday. And she goes, well, you must have eaten a lot afterwards because it didn't result in weight loss and she was like that's not what I meant that is not what I meant I meant I may not have lost a half a pound but I did something marvelous and my body is happier and healthier for it and I'm really proud of myself she didn't mean I was running to lose weight and you know it was and I'm I'm, I think people I think they're improving which is good and I think they're acknowledging their errors which is good and they're trying to change but they are a business, you know? Yeah. yeah um, I, I, the bit I can't, was it? It's a banana in full form is fine. And a banana in mushed is a sin. <laughs> it's like, it's still the same fucking thing. You mush it in your mouth, people. I know. I know. Like, and like, they work off the bait. You see, where long-term weight loss success comes from, and it can be achieved despite what people like to talk about and stuff. But it comes from doing something that you can sustain. And really, you get enough protein at each meal. And either you bring down, to create the calorie deficit, you bring down the carbs a bit or bring down the fat or interchange depending on the meal. So in other words, you make sure there's enough protein to support the weight loss and preserve your muscles and bones. But you change the meal so that you feel like more carbs in this meal or you feel like more fat in this meal or, or you feel like a bit of both. And the deficit comes from a slight decrease in either of those. And that's sustainable because if you go into a meal and want an omelette, you need enough fat in that omelette for it to be tasty and be satisfied after. You know, so that it's your enjoy, yeah. so that you come out and go, oh, that was yummy. That was enjoyable, you know, and So these things are built off so generic where people just say some of them are very high protein, low fat. But what happens if you love fat? You know, what happens if fats make you go, God, that meal was nice or give you the enjoyment from a meal? Well, if you're that person, then that isn't the club for you because, you know, or if you like them some of the time, if there's not that interchangeable. So, yeah, it's frustrating. It is. It's frustrating. And but they they do some things well to credit to them. Like they often make people who don't cook at home cook at home. But 
to be honest, the success in some ways is easy because we all cooked at home more often, you know, our bodies would be healthier for us. Well, a lot of people do it during the lockdown or else and a lot of people got, got takeaways. It was depending on the individual. But I think I don't remember talking to someone who used to be a, what are they called? I don't know what they're called. Gurus. I don't know what they're called. Leaders. What are they called? Nice. The people who organize. Thank you, the people who organize whatever they're called, um, the meetings. And they were saying, like, they're not encouraged to educate. That was the time that she did it. Like, this is five years ago. And she wasn't encouraged to educate them. Um, so in order to get the the revenue, like, it is a business after all. Like, that's the bit that... They make affect- money from failure, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and it's, like, ultimately you're paying five, what, 10 euro now? Five euro, 10 euro for someone to weigh in when you can do it at home. But if it's something that's impacting your mood, it's kind of like, well, why are you letting anyone else impact your mood and getting tucked yeah. to it? Like it's it's a responsibility to yourself, but if you're at that low point yourself, yeah. you'll but do some, anything. Sometimes the most successful people at weight loss are people who don't weigh themselves. Because yeah. if you get an emotional reaction from the scales and if it can make or break your day and you emotionally eat, then that's that's a dangerous game. And as well, like our our weight can go down or up depending on lots of things, like hormones or fluids, or you know, whether you went to the loo or not. So you know, I, I, a lot of people I see, you know, the scales don't come into it. Sometimes I like, I have a posh scales that does a body composition and it's very expensive and fancy and has a cool print out. But like a lot of the time people are like, I don't want to see it. Just tell me, you know, tell, tell me the headlines, you know? And sometimes that's the best approach. Like I have people who, even this week, I can think of three people. I said, how would you feel about not weighing yourself for a year? giving yourself a year it, off it, it, and it, that's it, a holiday but it, it, it unnerves people because sometimes you get the response back from clients saying well how do i know if i'm doing well or how and it's kind of like well that you're not in control there yeah that's the but big thing you're giving it away it can be so enlightening for others where they're like oh Huge. wow that that would be lovely yeah, because focus. the scales upsets them so much yeah focus on your so much value kids. on that number yeah, focus on how your energy is. Are you feeling better in clothes? Are you have more energy with your kids? Are you improve relationship with food? Just have bigger libido, more confidence. Yeah. All the and are you improving your PBs, five Ks? Like one of my clients texted this morning and says she ran her first five K ever, um, and she's in her mid forties. I'm kind of like I could not be better. It's exactly what you said with the one with the ten K. It's kind of like she's done this, like set herself an eight week goal around five K. Wow, and it's just like that's amazing. It's nothing to do with scales. I already don't care what she's doing on her check in next week, but. Yeah. Like you've won the week already. I really couldn't care what else happens now. Yeah, I know. Um, thank you so much for. I know there's so much more. I didn't stick to any of the questions I sent over. No, to you. you didn't actually. And I, well, I didn't look at them before I came <laughs> on anyway. But having looked at them now, I'm like, you really didn't stick to them. <laughs> nope, that's not the first one that's happened this week. Um, <laughs> so, or like, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find out about the clinic? Where can people find out to work with yourself? And where they can they find out about the Instagram page? Yeah, so it's Orla Walsh Nutrition is my Instagram page and my website. And where we hold virtual clinics, but also um, we're face, cl- face clinics in Fitzwilliam Medical Centre in Dublin too. Um, so just off Baggett Street there. Um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter as well, Orla C. Walsh. Um, and I don't think there's any other things to... I'm not really a plugger. I, I never know what to say. I'm like, give us a like. No, I don't know. I don't even care. I wouldn't even check my likes. So. 
Well, you're, you're rare to not do that as well. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for coming on and kind of debunking an awful lot of stuff there. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And sorry I came on like a drowned rat with my hair still wet. Stuff. Sorry, I had to shave. We were talking before we came on air. We had to talk about shaving, each- shaving heads, <laughs> shaving <laughs> each other. <laughs> this is imagine. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah, starting rumors. Exactly. Yeah, I need coffee. That's what I need. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Orla. Thanks, Amelia. Take care.